Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who is forced to wear a handkerchief on his head whenever he's bad. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and the trick, as as you're no doubt aware, is to, to tie the corners of the handkerchief mm. uh, so that your sadness... Uh, just go it doesn't fall directly right over right i assume it's that sort of like it, that uh, i don't even know what that that design is over like the 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 roofs that the where the the eaves like yeah, s- yeah. kind of point up to like kind of like prevent right, right. Gives, things from just falling it gives the sadness the something to drip off right, of right. yeah S- drop uh, it on drip it onto other people rather than than yourself right like an umbrella right. you don't you don't want your you don't want your sadness on your nose right absolutely you want it you want it on your feet at best, right? Right. That makes uh, sense. Um, I, I, I that that, <laughs> that particular stylistic element is the is in a movie just chock full of just the just a just absolute lud- most ludicrous style element. That has to be the thing that is the most just like <laughs> I can't like get my brain to just it's operate very- in a straight line because there's just a guy wearing a handkerchief on his head like for no reason. It's very, it's very good, Pat. It's all very. It good. is all. It is all very good. So but like somehow that little detail makes, make just amplifies the ridiculousness of everything that's happening a thousandfold. Because the guy's just wearing a tied off handkerchief on his head, it, tied off in an yeah. absolutely absurd way. It's just so good. Before we get into the movie this week, uh-huh. I do want to talk about our Patreon. I mean, I think that's a good idea. Well, thank you. I'm glad we're I'm on, on the board. Same thing. Yeah, I'm on board. Patreon.com. Yeah, Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. If you want to, uh, if you want to support us, keep us going. It's just a dollar a month. You can get access to a bonus episode. Uh, you get to vote on what that bonus episode is going to be. We watch a lot of. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff over there. Non-criterion no, stuff. Sometimes usually stuff that isn't was, interesting. I'm not going to lie to you. There's <laughs> sometimes stuff that isn't interesting. Um, there was one time we picked a movie that later became a part of the Criterion Collection, and occasionally we jump into Eclipse Collection stuff uh, that's not not part of our purview of the Criterion Collection spying number podcast. So uh, uh, we've watched some some really great movies from that uh, from the Eclipse Collection. We watched. Uh, uh, Louis Molly's God's Country, which a phenomenal is a documentary, documentary on eighties America. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we've also watched a lot of uh, a lot of not so great stuff, like uh, you know, uh, Ready Player One or yeah, uh, the Will Ferrell starring Kicking and Screaming. I mean, or, yeah, that uh, one's the worst example. Yeah, yeah, the Russo brothers. Welcome to Collinwood. We will be uh, uh, yeah, discussing that was momentarily, eh. and it's not. It's not great. It's not, it's, not, it's not terrible, but it's not It's great. no kicking and screaming. <laughs> right. It right, won't right. haunt me for the rest of my days. <laughs> right. Uh, but, yeah, that was uh, – Welcome to Collinwood is the uh, the 
April bonus. Uh, so it would it should be the most recently posted one when this episode comes out. Um, so you could if you get access go over to it. And, yeah, you could. Well, you can get access to, well, I mean, to all, access all of them. That's too, true. You know, that is also got, true. Yes, we've got over. Over 40 episodes over there of non-Criterion movies. Have guests over there a little more often than we do over here. In fact, uh, users, uh, supporters can suggest movies for us to watch, suggest lists for, for others to vote on. And uh, and if we pick that list, usually that person gets invited onto the podcast as well to be a guest for, for that movie. We've had some real fun from that. Uh, occasionally we invite people. Who, who have nothing to do with the list, and occasionally we invite people as uh, as apologies, as we talked about <laughs> last week with uh, with our guest on the main podcast, uh, Jason Westhaver, who's been a longtime supporter of our Patreon. Uh, I made a uh, a list of Canadian films and was thwarted with every movie I tried to put on because Pat wouldn't have access to it yeah, in Japan. Japan hates Canadian so films, as we up. talk about in that in that yeah. recording. <laughs> yeah. So I made a list of really terrible Canadian movies that Pat could get access to, and uh, and Jason took offense to it. So it was a bad list. I mean, too. but it's what we could get. It was a bad list, but we ended up watching uh, uh, Strange Brew from that, and it was a pretty fun episode too. And Strange Brew's an interesting movie, and has a connection to to our actual movie this week with uh, with Max Max von Sydow, uh, who plays the villain in Strange Brew and is our narrator uh, in this movie, uh, but finish up with the patreon before we talk about that of course as i said patreon.com slash lost and criterion that's the one dollar tier and we are very grateful for anyone who wants to throw us a dollar and get access mm. to that uh i think a monthly bonus episode is is a pretty good access for a one dollar tier on a patreon but i agree uh patreon's a weird website so maybe there are better play, better deals <laughs> but it's a pretty good one i think anyway uh, a little above that for five dollars it's it's honestly not quite that good a deal um, but we, uh, it depends on what you consider. We offer valuable, $5 tier. Yeah. We offer $5 tier for, for people who want to give us a little extra support, uh, and they get to hear their name read on the podcast. So thank you to our good friend, Stephen Goldmeyer for, for that $5 support. One reason there's not a lot of people at the $5 is because what we do at $10 is really special. Uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and write a personalized thank you note to our $10 and above supporters. So thank you so much to Jason Westhaver, to Christopher Otto, to Michael McGrath, Patrick Alco, and Adam Speakerman for supporting at that level. Yes, Hope you're enjoying you. your artwork. If you want to see those postcards, you can head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criterion. That is redbubble.com. Uh, search for Lost in Criterion, and you can see all of the postcards, but on a three-month delay so that our Patreon supporters can enjoy them before the general public can see them. And they are for sale at redbubble.com. You can't just see them. You can purchase yeah, them. I mean, if you yeah, you can have access to it. You could own one. It could be in your pocket right now. Um, I don't know why it's you're true. carrying you around could, postcards you in your could, pocket. I'm not, I'm not here to judge you. You, you um, never know when you need to send a quick note to your grandma. True. So it's good to have good to have postcards in your pocket mm, I absolutely think. you should buy all of our postcards and carry and keep them, them in your pocket, pocket. yeah Mer- emergency yeah. postcards for grandma just in case yeah right you know <laughs> keep them pre-stamped pre-addressed obviously it seems like and you it's gonna them. end poorly for grandma is what this really seems like it seems like well, you these can, guys just walking around with your address like, in your pocket you could use them as a as emergency contact true uh, for like if you don't have time to send a text message 
just dropped the postcard and hope that a good soul uh, will will put it in the mail. <laughs> right. And then... And then and your then grandmother your will get friend. a blank postcard, and she'll be like, "Something's gone. Something's <laughs> yeah. gone. Ter- something terrible has happened to poor to poor Adam." And then then she'll like look <laughs> in the screen. She'll be like, "I'm a man with a very special set of skills." And then and then she'll like go after to find whoever's taking yes. you. Actually, I've never seen those well, movies. May... Well, I've seen part of those movies on the airplane, so I don't think I'm doing that right. But you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, um, I suppose I suppose in the grand scheme of things, you might want to pre-write out some messages so that you you have just like a series of the like dear grandma i've been arrested i've been arrested uh, i've been hospital taken uh i've been by by uh, nondescript europeans um (laughs) yes yes you're gonna you're gonna need separate cards for the different groups who might take right right uh (laughs) absolutely but you always you just got to be prepared that's all i'm saying and and to help you be prepared we are selling postcards at redbubble.com search for lost and criterion over there and you can uh, you can get that help your grandmother help you is what we're saying yes so for uh for grandma prep and to avoid being kidnapped well not to avoid being kidnapped no, but won't to, help you to not notify be your grandma that's that she needs part to, of the deal yeah your grandma needs to come rescue you from being kidnapped uh head over to redbubble.com and to support us generally patreon.com slash lost in criterion Pat, what if this Liam week Neeson we are was talking your grandmother. Uh, I mean, seems pretty good. <laughs> I I am picturing Liam Neeson dressed as an old woman, yeah, a la Grandma Ma Johnson, yeah, on uh, on like the what was it, uh, Family Matters episodes, right? And, yeah. And, and I mean, my too. my brain went to Mrs. Um, Doubtfire, but you know, we all went to basically the but same yeah. place. Yeah, yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire is in that same realm. Um, just a fuzzy white wig and, uh, yeah, it'd be funny. Yeah, it it'd would be, be very funny. It would be. Liam Neeson, do that. Yeah. Dress make, as make, make a Mrs. Funny. Doubtfire remake or, and or a Family Matters yeah. remake. <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire X Taken. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> take, take it 12. Doubtfire. It's a very particular set of skills. <laughs> Very particular set of skills is dressing as an old woman. And then, like, accidentally lighting your fake boobs on fire. The only thing I remember from that entire movie. (laughs) That was a good bit. Uh, This week, we are talking about uh, our second Lars von Trier movie, which is actually the third in the series uh, that the last von Trier movie we watched was the first in the series of, which is actually possibly the first time Criterion has delivered us separately two different elements of a of a trilogy in the proper order. Well, <laughs> sort of the proper order because we are missing two. We are missing the middle one, yes. Um, so uh, von Trier had what is sometimes called the Europa Trilogy, sometimes just called the E Trilogy because all of the films start with the letter E. Uh, years ago, we watched The Element of Crime, uh, which, which came out in 1984. I remember. You really loved I The do. Element of Crime. I do. Remember like, the... I remember liking it, and I remember like I yeah. remember scenes of it, but I couldn't piece. I couldn't yeah. tell you the story any longer. I couldn't. I couldn't either. Uh, but it's the really, really harsh yellow yes, neo noir. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, and I remember that, and I remember some scenes. I remember, yeah. but like I can't. I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't tell you what happens. Actually, right, right, right. I remember being surprised at how much you liked Element of Crime. It was a <laughs> weird one, I but I mean, like to continue that theme. I also very yeah. much like Europa. 
yeah. for some reason, yeah. apparently Lars von Trier is my bag. I guess I don't know. <laughs> there you go. There I you don't go. know why, well, but he uh, does I'm, it for me. It's weird. I am sure that will change with our next von Trier in a couple of years when we watch Antichrist, uh, which is. Uh, Maybe. Definitely a different sort of movie, but I hope you enjoy it, and I hope I can convince you to watch it when it comes time to. <laughs> yeah, I will see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we won't be seeing Epidemic. Uh, it is not part of the collection. Um, and it seems like a real, real weird one, too. Um, I don't, you know, some of the bonus features on the Europa DVD had clips from Epidemic, uh-huh. and it's... Yeah, but it seems to like build to a zombie thing, but it's also this black and white, like dryerish, but also yeah, I couldn't figure it out. Montage at times, yeah. it was very. I was really very straight up could um, not figure it out. I was like, they were yeah. showing clips, and like, and, I guess what I am getting is that that is just von like Lars von Trier in general. Is that like, if you were to show me any particular clip from this movie, I could not tell you what this movie right. is about. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it, like it's just like I mean, it, you know, uh, yeah. His his style just sort of, to a certain extent, sort of mentally divorces the 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 what's on the screen from the action in a in a in a unusual way that makes it like you know you can look at a lot of movies and kind of figure out what kind of movie it is from right from the clips but and not, you could guess that this a is a film movie. noir, but you would actually be yeah. kind of wrong. Uh, (laughs) especially with like the Eisen if if your one clip was the Eisenstein uh, inspired like train (laughs) train introduction yeah yeah totally you'd be like I think I know what this movie is about and your guess would it's a movie about worshipping trains that's uh, and it's close Um, that train's gonna blow up a city I know what's gonna happen (laughs) it's gonna crash into an orphanage or something yeah Uh, so the uh Antichrist is our next volunteer at five forty two, which like I said, this is uh this is what, four fifty two. We're not so far enough got... away. I've looked at screenshots of Antichrist. I am not ready. There is <laughs> right, no right. part of Pat that is ready. Except for a part of me always wants Willem Dafoe, so like Yeah. Part no, of me is ready in the sense that like you could convince me to watch almost anything if it had Willem Dafoe in it. But yeah. boy howdy does that look uh, freaky. <laughs> I am not ready in for that. The, uh, in the early 700s, I'm pretty sure we also will get Breaking the Waves, uh-huh. his 1996 film, which is the is first movie Keanu Reeves? he made. I don't believe so, no. Okay, it just uh, feels like it should. It is the first movie he made under the Dogma 95 movement uh-huh. uh, that he co-founded in the 90s. Um, so we'll see that in four or five years. Um <laughs> And, well, I mean uh, that's like a long time. I mean, in this, I mean it's not, yeah. but it is. Right, right. We've already been doing this for eight years, so don't four you more shut years your mouth at barely anything. <laughs> I can, oh, I personally have not reached the point where I can confront the fact that we've been doing this for that long. That <laughs> right, I have a child right. that is younger than this podcast <laughs> by considerable <laughs> considerable margin. Uh, I get it. I can't I deal get with it. it. Uh, yeah. Well. um, those are the uh, those are all of the von Trier in the collection right now. So so assuming the trajectory we are on, uh, this is uh, our second von Trier, and we've got two more. Right. Okay. It's uh, it's an interesting cast in this movie. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I said, is that what I said? Max von, Max von Sydow does the voiceover in sort of a blast of silence, but also he's a hypnotist. Yeah, uh, no, I love of... it. I don't get it, but I yeah. well, because the whole trilogy yeah. is apparently kind of about hypnotism. It's very... Right, right. Like, I did right. not realize that was a theme in uh, Element of Crime. I don't it's think. Not, it's not really something I remember you picking say, up on in Element of Crime. But clearly, I mean, Lars von Trier thinks I, it is. I wonder if we, if we went back to Element of Crime and, like, 90% of our conversation is about hypnotism. Because literally neither of us remember enough of that episode. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you're, you're not wrong. Yeah, like, that's, that's true. It could be. It could have been all about hypnotism. We're like, and then... The thing is, is we're based on the way our like we're so far away from it. Even our listeners are probably don't even like it's impossible. Nobody knows what's in that episode. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, I don't suggest just going back and listening back to back uh, because we will look like it was number. It was spine eighty. As I was saying, those were early it days. Was so early. Here's what I will say. Based on I did do because I was trying to put them on YouTube for a while there, and uh, I I I, yeah. I, I still want to do that because it makes them more accessible just in general. Uh, it's just I I lost track of the job and kind of gave up. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I discovered in doing that, well, part of the reason I wanted to do that is I wanted to get uh, YouTube to make transcripts for me so I would have at least mediocre transcripts of what was said in the podcast, <laughs> which I, seems useful, right? Yeah. Uh, if nothing else, search for keywords and stuff like that. Uh, I thought that would be fun. Well, it would It would be nice for us to do that to give, like uh... – uh, access to people who can absolutely, hear absolutely. Be, I mean, there's lots of good to, reasons but, to do it. I was motivated by yeah. a desire to get transcripts for my own purposes, but like, it is right, it is also right. a good thing to do uh, for just the, for people, right? But like, um, the thing about it was is that that seventy, I think seventy two, is the mark. Is like for some reason that number's embedded in my mind is a weird place where we cross a, a strange threshold where. We no uh-huh. longer try to treat the entire thing as a kind of jokey lark. Yeah, like uh, where, where it sets in what what we've actually uh, what we've actually uh, decided to do. Yeah, I mean, it's at least the proto version uh, of what we are yeah. now. Where we're like Rene Claire's Le Million is a is a great movie, and I and I hope that's the point. Seventy three is Cleo from Five to Seven, our first Varda. So right, it's somewhere. Uh, it's it like makes right sense that it would be around in there. And it was just after the Cock Two trilogy, so like yeah. we were, we were really like, yeah, it, it, highs and lows because it sixty four was Third Man, and then we had Rushmore and the Cock Two trilogy, and then Last Temptation of Christ, uh, Bergman's The Magic Fruit Flu, and and Le Million is seventy two, and then the Varda, the first Varda duo, right? Um, so it's a it's an interesting string. That yeah. really is highs and lows of of, well, of and I and then know, what we had to offer and we were rounding we had just crossed over like we're past a year and I just remember it's like around forty is when I forty something is when like for example and this is a weird monument that only matters to me is when the intro started to be actually directly connected to the film uh, yeah and I decided oh that should be a thing and then like yeah. part of that mentally for me was like oh maybe I'll like at least like maybe we'll both just try to like try to you know because like we didn't know what we wanted to do and uh now it's you know seven years later after that and we've even obviously things have changed quite a bit since then but like taking it kind of seriously was like a kind of a big step yeah Um, oh we're gonna keep doing this. we have a we at least have a vague idea of what we want to do now an outline yeah of of a premise so 
Yeah. I mean, we don't have um, uh, anyway. We don't have sections, but yeah. So like, the, I don't yeah. remember why I brought. Oh, why did I bring that up? Oh <laughs> yeah, because that would have been right around the time that we started taking things legitimately right, right, seriously. Right, right. Yeah. Which at number eighty. Right. Yeah. And and so I think part of doing that was coming to terms with the fact that, like trying to actually figure out the parts of the movie that we enjoyed or didn't enjoy, whether or not it was one that was like meaningful in some yeah. way. And for some for some incomprehensible reason, Lars von Trier just at least these two movies, they do it for me. And yeah. It's I don't know. Well I don't understand it. I mean on a on a behind the scenes thing it's also interesting that uh that change would have actually started to happen once we started posting them too. Yeah. Because yeah. we had we had between forty and fifty uh episodes in the bag yeah. when we posted the first one. Yeah. Uh we had remember, almost a full year. We were almost we were around, we, had, we were really close to a full year. I think we were at like eleven and a half months or something like that of, of pre made content. Yeah. Cause number forty is Armageddon, and I'm pretty sure uh we recorded the Armageddon episode with Steven um mm-hmm. in early January and we had started posting the first week of January. Yeah, yeah. That makes uh, sense. So Yeah. So it was uh I don't know. We assumed that we would get busy enough that 40 weeks of buffer was needed. Uh, now we work at three weeks of buffer. Well, it's just I another, mean, you know, we, change. we we got used to the idea that we're not going to give up yeah. on this. We're not going to stop this. I, <laughs> right. The reason I we bring... Yeah. yeah, and we don't, need, you, we don't need 40 weeks. You and I, <laughs> previous to that, were notorious for dropping projects like they were... Well, like right. they were hot. Uh, and Yes. Um yeah, we well, so, we yeah. we finally found something to uh, to commit to, uh, kind of out of spite, I think, at some points. But yeah, that's uh, probably. But we've true. done it. We've done it nonetheless. Anyway, what got us talking about that uh, was that uh, I mentioned Max von Sydow. Yes, uh, who is in a lot of our Criterion stuff, and uh, because he is, uh, he is uh, Bergman's best friend. Oh, <laughs> is that yeah yeah uh, yeah. He's in a lot of the Bergman stuff. And he's in a lot of other stuff. Um, so, uh, so Sidow's in this. We've got Eddie Constantine, who we last saw, uh, or at least first saw. I don't know that it was the last time we saw him, but we first saw as the star of Alphaville, right? Uh, American expatriate Eddie Constantine, uh, working with with Godard there. We've got uh, Udo Kier, who who I'm a, a uh, huge fan of. I just I can never get over. Udo Kier in every movie just I like my heart yeah. swells with joy when I see his face. Right. I can't deal with we it. We get we get with Kier we get an Andy Warhol through the Paul Morrissey uh uh Frankenstein and, and Dracula right, movies right. connection. Um Kier was also uh recently uh I think last year, um it's on the Criterion channel. Uh, Cure was in just a fantastic near future weird western uh, out of Brazil called uh, Bacarau. Okay. Uh, B a c a r a u. Uh, that I highly recommend. I will have to check um, that out. It it gets a little violent. Eh, I can um, violent. Yeah. So highly recommend that. Um, Jean Marc Barr, uh, I think, is kind of a newcomer. He's he's Leo, our main guy. Right. Um, but it's just. There's like a pedigree to the people involved with this movie, right? Right. And uh, and and cinematographer uh, Henning Benston 
is also part of that pedigree. He had shot um, right. this and Epidemic for Von Trier, but he also shot like all Dreyer stuff, Dreyer's or Debt, yeah, and and Gertrude. Um, there's a there's a really great behind the scenes thing with him on the DVD where he talks about working with Dreyer, uh, where he says something really interesting. And this guy was in My Metier, which I remember watching, but I don't remember his part of it yeah, at all. Like yeah. My Metier had had a spine number, so it is an episode, but it was not. As much as we love Dreyer, My Metier didn't really connect with us, <laughs> I don't think. Well, yeah, um, it was a bit of an oddball uh, thing in, yeah. in, in general. Right. Yeah, I think it was it was I think the first time we had a spine number that was dedicated to a documentary about a director. So right, yeah, uh, it just felt out of a, out of yeah. place for us. It's still yeah. it, it's still an unusual thing yeah. because now that we've we watched three or happen. four of those, yeah. it's still yeah, it's still weird, but what is more understandable anyway. Um, uh, Benson talks about his relationship with the dryer and that uh, in filming or debt. Dreyer realized that Benson essentially could be trusted and stopped right. meddling with the with the shooting. Uh, Von Trier says something interesting about Henning in an interview. He says, Henning really works against my ideas. Uh, he says, it's the same with some of the actors. I like to have them work against my films because that's when something interesting starts to happen. Um. Eddie Constantine tells a similar uh, yeah from the other side anecdote yeah, yeah. from the other side about about uh, you know uh, his work with Truffaut and Goddard they were just sort of on board with whatever he was doing and uh, and von Trier's a little more antagonistic trying to hash out the details well, it, there's another anecdote oh go ahead I was just going to say uh, that there's real another... quick there's another anecdote yeah. You go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say from a, one of the other ones of those that you got the almost the opposite, right? Which was um, which actor was it uh, that was saying that they like? Oh, he like? Oh, it was Udo. It was Udo Kier who was like, like, oh, he didn't want yeah. me to do anything because he's like, no, I picked you because you're already the person that this move that this character right, is. Right, Just right. be you. Right. Which is like totally yeah. opposite of what Eddie Constantine. So I was like, what? And they're like, I was like, these, one of these, are these both true? I don't know. Yeah. Also balance that with the, uh, with the costume designer who says, Von Trier wants everyone to think he's an asshole, but he's really a softie. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all, uh, it's all, there's just there's so much material extra on this DVD that's just personal anecdotes about Von Trier that it's to like a ridiculous like hours right i had to give up i watched hours. a couple of them and i was <laughs> yeah. like all right well i have to stop now because like i have other things to do today yeah like it's th there's four some hours great, or something there's, there's some great behind the scenes stuff but mostly it's just people telling anecdotes about working with von trier right, not even yeah. specifically about working on this movie but just working with von trier Many of them specifically about working on this movie, but most of them just generally. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, uh, this is what it's like to work with Von Trier, which is like, I mean, it's interesting insight. It's just like, this is, like, it almost feels like, it almost feels like they. it's impossible to talk about the movie-making process <laughs> because Von Trier and the movie-making process are, like, the same thing or something. You know what I mean? Like, they're, like, they're, yeah. they're fundamentally inseparable from each other. It's not so much that, like, he, it, 
this is just a, a way overblown statement, but like, yeah, it's almost like he doesn't necessarily have a style of movie making as much as he has a way of being Lars von Trier, and then that is just like what you experience when you show up as a movie set. I think that's I think that's <laughs> accurate. Yeah, it does kind of feel that way. Uh, it's it's yeah. Um, one of the sort of actual behind the scenes features uh, is uh, a series of interviews with von Trier. And one of the things that that is in that is a press conference on this movie at Con. I did not watch uh, that one. I could. I ran out of time to watch yeah. that one. Well, at at the Con uh, premiere, the press conference. One of the reporters asks him, says, "This movie with the end seems to be about uh, what's he? What's his exact words? Let me." I've got. <laughs> I literally wrote a plot synopsis as this movie went, since one didn't exist in Wikipedia. Right. So I've got like ten pages of notes on this one. Um, anyway, uh, during the con thing, an interviewer, or not, I'm sorry, during the con press conference, uh, one of the uh, reporters asks him about the theme of the movie that it seems to be about the death of idealism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another follows that up with a question about the particularities of setting this death of idealism in a post-World War II Germany. Von Trier responds that he is not a thinking man <laughs> and really can't answer those questions, uh, which is fascinating right, <laughs> in right. its own right. He says that the film seeks to play with your self-conscious and describes that as the sort of film he hates to watch. Right. Um, uh, uh, a later interview on that same feature, uh, he says, uh, he says, again, he reiterates that this is particularly a film he would never want to watch. He would never right. want to watch Europa. He doesn't like that style of film. Uh, he says, he says it's like that movie Silence of the Something, uh, <laughs> Which I, I I love that he can't even remember the title of Silence of the Lambs, but uh, but it would have been coming around, out around the same time right. that the that the interview is being done, I would think, unless my my time frames on on that's wrong. Because if this came out in ninety, when did this come out? Ninety ninety one, I think they said. Yeah, it would have been right around the same time. It would have been right around the same time. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, he says uh. The, the advanced stuff about Silence of the Lambs makes him not want to see it because he'd like be too freaked out about it. Uh, but also the being freaked out about it is something he's attracted to. Um, uh, the interviewer says, says, you once said you wouldn't dare to watch your own films. And Von Trier says that he'd be frightened to watch Europa. Um, and it's, yeah, it's very interesting uh, particularly, yeah. particularly with the trepidation we have around Antichrist. <laughs> that, yeah, that, 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 von Trier that von Trier says that exclusively films that Silence of the watch. Lamb would be too scary for yeah. him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a wild thing. It is a it is a truly wild thing to say. Yeah, uh, but there's then an, again, like you know, there's this certain sort of strange playfulness to von Trier that makes you think at the same time, like, is he just bullshitting us? Is he just saying a thing? Right, 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 right. There's a there's another thing in that is that that whole feature is intercut with clips from various von Trier films. Right. Um, 
And they've got some behind the scenes stuff of them filming a project called Dimension. It was a short film that was eventually released in 2010. But when they were making it in 1991, uh, the intention was to film three minutes every year okay. for 30 years. Okay. To a eventually get, or for 33 years, to eventually get a full length to be released in 2024. In 1997, he got tired of doing that yeah. and decided. That I like he, he went was full Sufjan Stevens with it and just was like, "No, nah, I'm done." Right, right. Yeah, yeah I'm, this was a terrible idea. Why did I agree to this? Uh, why did I have it? Um, but uh, but part of the behind the scenes of of the scene they're shooting uh, with this documentary is is Eddie Constantine at an airport and a helicopter's landing. Uh, but then one of the, I don't even know who it is, but one of the assistant directors starts talking about talking to Eddie Constantine about how Eddie Constantine will die before this movie is done. My God. And like, maybe we'll shoot it. Yeah. Like, maybe we'll shoot at your funeral. And like, it's it's meant to be cheeky, but Constantine is obviously uncomfortable. Yeah, this is a really, I got like, you should not be, this is not an appropriate yeah. topic to be talking about. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I don't know who said it, but Von Trier's standing there, and after, after, uh, after the guy walks away, Constantine turns to Von Trier, and it's like, what's with that guy? <laughs> it's like, well, maybe we'll film at your funeral too, buddy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's very good. Uh, the last, uh, the last bonus feature I want to talk about before we uh, get down to to the movie is a behind the scenes thing filmed by. Uh, the assistant director of the movie okay. who is uh, it's called Europa, the fecal location. Oh, I saw that and shot, I did not watch it. Shot, shot by assistant director, Tomas uh, Gislazen. Uh, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Uh, G I S L A S O N. I mean, your guess is, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. Uh, but it's a 10 minute documentary that half of it is an anecdote about how the toilets at the hotel they were staying at didn't work. Okay. Uh, so it was shot in, like, Soviet bloc, Poland, uh, West Russia. Right. Or, and, and like, it was, a, it was a summer resort, but this was the dead of winter, and there was no water pressure in the toilets, so nothing would flush. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, and then they, it's like of them experimenting of like filling a bucket with water in the shower and then pouring it in the toilet and trying to flush it then. And like, just nothing works. And they talk about how the resort, it's beautiful, the, but very weird because the water in the resort, uh, the lake, the resort is on is crystal clear, but there's no vegetation for some reason. Okay. Uh, but then all of the water, you've got to run. You've got to run any faucet for an hour before the water stops being red or brown. Uh, right, which is rust, so, right? Like, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, right. So so that's like five minutes. And then it's five minutes of an anecdote about uh, Von Trier came with his own, like, camper to stay in. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah I heard about that. But, yeah. But they had an agreement. Uh, they had an agreement not to use the toilet in Von Trier's camper. No one, not even Von Trier would use it. I don't know why, but the toilet was unusable. Uh, so, so then they tell an anecdote about Von Trier 
uh, pooping on the side of a hill during production and falling into his own poop. Oh, my God. (laughs) And then then having a bit of a breakdown (laughs) about that. Um, and uh, and particular uh, uh, Gis- Gislazen gets a uh, a bit of fun out of it because for some reason during production the day before Von Trier had called him a wuss uh-huh. and uh, and now Von Trier is having an emotional breakdown about falling in his own poop right, right, right. did not did not appreciate when Tomas called him a wuss back right uh, and and then they go on to say that. Uh, that one of the executive producers, Gunnar Obel, mm-hmm. who Gislazen describes as a man who wanted more naked nurses in the film, okay. uh, visited the set visited the set just after Von Trier's accident um, and uh, stayed overnight in the camper, but then left in the morning because he was sick. And when they went into the room, they saw that he had eaten an apple uh, that Von Trier had been carrying when he fell in the poop. Uh-huh. And and Gizelin makes the suggestion, but not really makes the suggestion that maybe the apple had, had touched Von Trier's poop and this guy had gotten sick. Uh because he says the lesson we learned is that you should wash your apples. Uh but he never actually explicitly says anything about the apple being damaged, just that there was a familiar smell in the room and the apple was had a couple bites out of it. But it's it's just a very weird, and like that's the end that's of the documentary. So strange. Yeah, yeah. It's but it's like it's ten or eleven minutes just dedicated to those two anecdotes and nothing yeah. else. It's just, I don't know why why it's there, <laughs> and it's like it's like the footage he shot in ninety one, and then like uh, much later, uh, Talking Head interviews like shot at the same time as the other anecdote stuff right. for the other DVD stuff. Um, that, that where it's him talking, commenting on the the poop stuff right. about the movie. <laughs> but yeah, um, I guess all that to say that it was uh, it's an interesting movie made by interesting people, and maybe we should actually talk about the movie at this point. Eh. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, see, that's the problem, though, right? Is that like we've we've you you made ten pages of notes, I did not. Um, yeah, but that's yeah. not the key problem. The problem is that like. When I describe the fact that you could like show me a cl- any random clip of this movie and I wouldn't be able to describe what happened based off of the clip, like if you hadn't seen right, it, right, right, the movie like has a logical story sequence frame. It's a just a classic spy kind of like post war spy thriller type kind of spy thriller. I don't know what to call it. Like, um, yeah, you know spy thriller adjacent sort of like oh you know we've seen movies like this you've seen movies like this they got made they were a dime a dozen you've seen you've seen movies with basic plots that's like what this. i mean that's I don't know specifically that you've seen what movies i mean that like is what this. i mean that is that <laughs> yeah. is what i mean yeah. i meant that the plot of it is is no great shakes uh i mean it's obviously right. very von triered so even that fundamental plot like very rarely in any of those post-war sort of pseudo spy thrillers did anybody also have to pass a a train conductor's licensing exam, <laughs> right? While, right. While while also deciding whether or not he's going to blow yeah, the train, but, um, you know, that's an but unusual that part twist. is also this this satire of you know one it's the American come into this country post-war to to better society in some right. way. 
Uh, and what he what does he decide to do that to become a sleeping car conductor? But then the entire concept of a sleeping car conductor on a German train is its own like meta thing, like like right. Well, I mean, we get that we get that shot of one of these trains filled with people uh, concentration camp right. victims, yeah. right? So, you know, and we get the illusions that, that the, these, this train company was providing trains for the transport of, <coughs> of uh, political prisoners on their way to genocide. Uh, right. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, and, and, you know, I mean, there's, it's an interesting choice to do in the sense that, like, some of that stuff can almost call him off as a sort of non sequitur, right? Uh, but the movie does try to deal with, the, does try to talk about the idea that this com- about companies, German companies, compl- uh, complicity. I can't say that word in in Nazi Germany, right? Like, it, it, what makes this movie challenging is the fact that it's also a fundamentally absurd film. Yes, and so you have these very very hyper important topics being talked about in the same film where absolutely absurd nonsense happens. Right. right. Uh, and that, and that's not a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not criticizing it and like saying that that's a wrong thing to do. It is just, it, yeah. the tone of the movie is very hard to like lock down. I, I don't think it's actually possible to lock down the tone of the movie. Yeah. That is, that is also in conjuncture that this is a sort of in nebulously inspired by Kafka's Americana. Right. So it's it's Kafka-esque absurdity in it too, right? And and there is the through line that uh at least the Jewish people in this movie are constantly victims no matter who's in charge. Yeah, I mean right? that's yeah, definitely an important uh, part of 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 the story, right? Post post war they are being used by the Americans to either uh prop up their own right. Uh, occupation or to uh, falsely clear industrialists who need to not be arrested right. as collab- <laughs> collaborators, right? Um, and then, you know, obviously there's the the actual scene of of uh, people on the train uh, to, to sort of hammer that aspect of it home. Right. Um, to the point there, it... It, that part maybe kind of feels a little icky that that all of the Jewish people in the film are still portrayed only as victims in various ways. Yeah. Oh, right? I mean, you know, there's um, there's the one family that is returning home that is right. basically like I mean they're like they're in the same position as every other person in that sense. Uh, I mean, their story is tragic, but they don't. Like right. we don't get into but them they are being at least, actively being victimized at that moment, right? And they are and they are being portrayed as everyday Germans uh, returning to right to life, but to, they are very right, explicitly reintegrating society, um, right? In in the in right. the in the script of the story, right. like what I what yeah. I think is um, it, it there is there is some problem just inherently to the way Von Trier does try to tell this element of it. Um, it, you're right that it is, it is like by 
you know, we all, it's a kind of a classic problem in storytelling, right? It's like you want to get across this message, but that you end up painting all people of a certain group as being a certain kind of thing, right? Um, there's always a risk with these kind of met- sort of semi-metaphorical yeah. storytelling, right? Um, that what I found interesting about it, that, like from a different sp- perspective, is because of the way storytelling works and the way that specifically Ron- Von Trier tells this story. What we end up doing is doing a sort of like unfortunate sort of neoliberal reconstruction of the world (laughs) where like everything that is bad is the actions of individual people and there's nothing like Americans propping up former war criminals is was a is is not a personal. It is a systemic issue. It is it is what America the country does after the war is over, but we have a single general portraying it and the way it's portrayed in the film makes it seem to a certain extent that it's, he, he justifies it with an excuse about this person needing to be like is necessary to the rebuilding of Germany, but it has the extra layer of it being a friend of his, which makes it feel like a very personal issue. Um, Now, mind you, you can take that metaphorically and say, well, okay, America in many ways was very good friends with Germany pre-war and and in many ways led to a lot of what happened there and is responsible for it Uh, i mean the movie talks about the idea that like most german companies were owned at least in part by american companies pre and during the war which is an interesting thing to talk about but it doesn't get away from the fact that it's like oh this this general is letting this um you know like at, at, at very least person who helped the nazis in their in their genocide yeah off the hook that's always a problem in a movie a, that I, like that i hate right. that's really troublesome there's a justifiable aspect to it that of conservation of characters right, right? absolutely yeah. where he is he is our only we get we get a few mps but he's our own only real american character right and therefore he's just a stand-in for america Right, and which is not, fine. It's not about his individual actions. It's about <coughs> his actions as a representative of, and, uh, right. And I yeah, understand that America. as a concept. Right. I mean, I'm like, yes, I, I get, mean, I get metaphor right. in the idea. No. My problem is, is that it doesn't, <laughs> in the end, feel that way. We have lots of Germans, yeah, who all represent different elements of Germany, but we have a single American stand-in. But because the story is complicated by his personal relationship with the 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 train company owner it muddles that that like that element of it to right. the to the extent of making it not it really starts to feel like a mostly just a personal story um yeah well okay but on the other hand I, do you feel the same way as the priest who is do you think that is an individual priest and not a representative of christianity within the german power well, hierarchy here's what i will say Yes and no, because the priest is almost a non-character. So he, yes, he is probably a stand-in for Christianity's like, uh, like culpability in the crimes in Germany. But like, he also is essentially a non-character that I, you could ignore him and like basically still have the same movie. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like he's also, I think he's interesting as a as a metaphor because he's also a character who purposefully loses at chess against the American military. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and but he is he is essentially the uh, 
the religious advisor to the werewolves, right? That's right. where we keep seeing him is, you know, and running that that uh, that Christmas Eve mass in a bombed out church uh, is itself an interesting thing, but it it takes another dimension knowing his relationship with, you know, he's he's putting a blessing on these Nazis who refuse to stop fighting right, right well and that and that's the like there's a what the movie does i think very well i i think some of the some of this the discussion of of uh the crimes that were committed against the jewish people are a little ham-handed and some other stuff's a little bit hand, ham-handed where 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 it really shines i think honestly is talking about how a person can conceive of themselves as a how a person who is a nazi who whose entire ideology was built on white supremacy and the idea that like Germany should be in control of everything, uh, that there are, that everything else is inferior to the German people, can then shift their their ideology to be well. I'm just trying to defend my homeland. Is there is a right. really like how that how those ideologies don't create internal contradictions inside the mind of the person despite the fact that they are they are highly inconsistent to an outside observer right like that like right you 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 are the the, the idea that a nazi is just a victim in the in the mind of the nazi is a, is a it does a i think a good job of talking about that yeah. um and i i don't want to get too deep on this, but I think it is also fair to say the everyday Nazis are victims, but they're not the victims right, of right. the people they believe right, they're right. the victims and, of. And they're the victims of an internalized ideology right. that is bad. Right, uh, right. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. There's there's all kinds of victimization yeah. happening, but like right, right. specifically in the environment of the idea that Nazi partisans right. trying to push the American yeah. occupation out it's, are are the victims of. That occupation yeah. is is a is a something that the movie plays with well, right? It's then interesting, you know. Catherine, I think, is on the level when she explains to Leo the metaphor of the werewolf, right? Where she says, "I do these things at night, and I'm ashamed of them in the day." Yeah. Uh, no. Um, and sure, she's she is later to reveal to to have been a pawn. Uh, or or actively victimizing him uh, in this Machiavellian uh, Lacarian, I suppose, right. to, to throw back to the movie a couple weeks ago, uh, uh, plan. Um, and then, you know, it, when Leo realizes just how his... I mean, honestly, misguided idealism. Like, like he oh, shows no, up it, to help. It, it, he tells us he tells us he shows up to help post-war Germany, but he's getting a private sector job as a, well under his uncle. Like, no, absolutely. I mean, like Leo is. I mean, Leo is a has to be has to be a, a, just a general bald face indictment of like the 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 the, the sort of again so from. For me, at least, the, the way I now understand it, the sort of helpful, quote-unquote helpful, volunteering neoliberal guy. <laughs> yeah. who's, I'm just here to help. Like, 
like that 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 whole like I'm I I got this private sector job in, in the train yards to like to help out this country and and further the the path right. towards peace. It's like I, what I'm fascinated about by that. Sorry to just like totally derail this, but oh, like yeah. is that in the documentaries attached to this, they described it as all three of those of these movies is about a person who's quote unquote there to help. Right. And, and I, we haven't seen epidemic, but I don't remember, uh, elements of, of crime that well, but I, it was, it didn't have the same vibe of like hapless idiot wanders into, I, I, I can't remember, <laughs> right, but like, right, I think right, he's a detective, right. right? Isn't that like, I can't remember. Yeah. He's anymore. a detective. Yeah. Like it's just, it's a, been this one is just, a very long time. This one is so much more like, like, like almost has a like, I'm here to help you guys. Now give me some, right, right. give me a paycheck while I fix this country. Yeah. Like it's so then, weird. But good. And like at, in the beginning, he's pointing out the issues, right? Oh, you've got a, no wonder unemployment's so high in Germany. No one can afford to work because he's got to pay for his uniform. He's right. docked at every turn. Um, and then, you know, he, he falls in with this Nazi crowd because he fell in love, right? Uh, which is his own thing the emotional right. attachment that it's not it's not the political aims that makes him want to do this it's an emotional attachment to someone particular who's just manipulating him openly uh so it's no wonder that at the end of the movie he has a breakdown right um but it's also indicative of of that sort of i'm here to help mentality leads ultimately to fascism as well right right yeah. because it's not it's not actually helping right uh it's not building a more just society it's just showing up crying peace peace when there is no peace and putting band-aids on things that require sutures right well uh, and this isn't even it this is even like because very clearly von Trier wants to talk about that he picks the most right. asinine possible thing for this person to be doing. This person even isn't even working for like a shitty MPO that's not doing very like doing anything useful, right? right. Like he's working for like the fucking train company. For working for former Nazi collaborators to like to right. like help people sleep at night. It's like it is it is yeah. abjectly useless. And that's I mean, that's important, I think, to the the you know Von Trier's motivations in this to be like, yeah, these people are useless. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, he goes a little crazy and starts shooting up everything and then crashes the train. Actually, the, the whole train sequence is very interesting. Uh, I don't know if you saw those parts of the behind-the-scenes stuff, but uh, that whole interior car is a set yeah, on wheels uh, with all of the just beautiful cinematography stuff. They had 800, 800 uh, storyboard images. Yeah, so I, that was the one I uh, made sure to watch but, because I read the description. Yeah. I was like, I had a very, very strong, like, I mean, you watch the movie and, like, if you've got any experience with film at all, you're like, yo, but this is definitely rear projection. Like, I know what's happening here. Right, right, uh, right. But, like, take that, that documentary digging into the choice to do that and how, and why and like how it was done was really good. It was really fascinating. Right. Like right. To generate it's, that color image thing and it's so neat. Yeah. 
the way background and foreground are interacting with one another and foregrounds in color and backgrounds in black and white for a lot of it and and the the composition of this image is great but one place where i was surprised to learn that it wasn't a comp composite image right. is when cat is on the other train and yeah, they're talking and to each other through the window cars. And it's two real train cars in studio that uh, that are set up so well, they can play, slowly pull apart. What's what makes that work that way? That's really interesting. Is because um, getting into our cinematographer, we talked about, he keeps the contrast on the image just so like in kind of in like just out of the world, out of this world right. high. That like it makes even real superimposed image like real life depth of field look fake. It's wild. Like yeah. it, it, it looks right. fake, right. but it's not. It's you can't tell the difference. Yeah. The only reason you can t even remotely tell the difference would be that like some of the uh, rear projection stuff doesn't line up perfectly, so it looks like floating. But like you could, or, you can't. Or really is tell. purposefully weird. Yeah, like it is when purposely the kid shoots wrong. Yeah. The new mayor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a, there's multiples yeah. of those. Like there's times where he's talking to Cat, like Leo's talking to Cat, and like. Her background is just nonsensical. It wouldn't. It's just impossible to be what's right. behind her. Um, but yeah. like, in general, and it plays with that. Like the whole movie plays with the idea yeah. of that super imposition really well in a way that I another, really like. Another interesting, uh, both both as metaphor and as practical effect, uh, after Leo and Cat have sex on the toy train. Mm -hmm. And we get that shot of the train, the toy train destroyed. And then it's a crane shot that pulls out uh, from that space through a hole in the wall yeah. and then onto a moving train car. And that is all practically done. Mm. Uh, there, the roof of the room was hinged and then they're onto a moving compartment. <laughs> uh, yeah, very interesting. Um, the other practical one that's less surprising that's practical is when they're falling, when Leo is in the train toilet right. at the end of the movie and and is falling, uh, the apparatus of that spinning room was a physical creation. Well, that, that, that these, oh, go ahead. That the stuntman refused to go in because it had already collapsed once. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Bar, Bar says nearly killed him because when it collapsed the first time. That contraption, not while he was inside it. Right. That contraption right. has a has a weirdly long history in movie making. Like it. Yeah. Kubrick uses uses one almost identical to that. It's a neat tool. They're really really neat to like create that that crazy practical effect of like a room spinning around a person is really. There's lots of other movies that yeah. use it. Because in, unless you have, like, even if you have digital, like, compositing stuff, you basically just can't fake that very well. And now right, I guess right. at this point And nothing could, in here is digital, right? right? It's all video composite anyway. At, at, at this point, uh, you might be able to 3D model the whole thing, but it would be just an unbelievable waste of time. But, like, uh, no, it's just neat. Those are just, that's such a neat thing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Right, right. What's fascinating to me, and, like, you know, oh, go ahead. No, you, please. Oh, no. I, what I was going to say that I kept thinking about while I was watching the behind-the-scenes thing was what's, what really fascinates me is that I don't know that Lars von Trier would do it anyway, but how literally every effect in this movie could be accomplished by basically a single dude in Adobe Premiere and After Effects at this point. <laughs> All this stuff that took that right. took him hundreds and hundreds, like literally two years 
to just get off the ground could be right. done by like a team of like five guys in a in, a, in the right. Adobe Suite at this point. <laughs> like every single one of those effects yeah. that is just so like all that meticulous playing to get her to like go off screen and then come back on screen in color and then have him go off screen. You could do that a hundred percent in just like fucking After Effects and Premiere. Right. You could you could crank that out in a yeah. fucking day. Like as long as you had and maybe the footage. even just do it with a single shot. Yeah, you would do it with of, a single shot. You yeah. would only you would just you would yeah. all that coloration stuff would all be single shot. This out. Right. And and anytime it, the background's superimposed in a weird way that's not doesn't line up, like again, well you have two shots but you're just in in the computer compositing yeah. them together. It's just I mean, was it worth doing practically? Absolutely. Did he have a choice? Not really because there's nothing that sophisticated at <laughs> right, that time. Right. But like it's just amazing to think about the fact that like some practical, like some practical effects, like even now would require, as we've seen, like require a lot of computer work to to achieve. Even now, I mean, instead of digit, like instead of practical work, they require a lot of computer work. This one is just like such a so much work to accomplish an effect that can just be accomplished by by basically by amateurs at this point. Like obviously yeah. wouldn't have the beauty and the composite like the the composition and all that stuff. I'm just saying those effects. It's just wild to me to think about. Like it like all that coloration stuff, you're literally your phone can do it. Right. Like your right. phone can right. do that. Like your phone can do that selective color isolation stuff so easy. It's like, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Dude spent two years getting it ready and making it and like within two right. decades, like it's a it's a ten minute job. It's that's crazy to think about. Uh, um, here's an interesting thing I just found out about Von Trier. Uh, one, the Vaughn is fake. Okay, uh, he, which which is which is not the interesting thing, but he he does it in honor of uh, Eric von Straheim and Josef uh, von Sternberg, who also the Vaughns are fake. Right. Um, okay, that's but, fine. Uh, yeah, which is fine and not the interesting thing I wanted to share. Um his uh his father, he takes the name from the man he believed to be his father, which was his mother's husband. Okay. Uh Trier. Okay. Um Ulf Trier is the man's name. Uh but uh his Bursar David, biological father, <laughs> is the head of Denmark's Ministry of Social Affairs and a World War II resistance fighter named Fritz Michael Hartmann. Okay. Hartmann being the name of our Nazi family in this movie. That's... Uh, I... Okay. It's a little there, weird. There's a, there's a specific line... About knowing things about Lars von Trier that I don't want to cross, uh, right. because I feel to a certain extent that at some point we will explore too far into his psyche, and <laughs> and it will only ruin everything for all for right, all of us. Right, right. It's I don't know case, what's going it's on not with him. Time. It's not time to cross that line yet. No, we have not gotten there. Maybe Antichrist is probably the answer. Maybe with Antichrist we'll cross that line and we'll be fine with crossing that line. But you make a good point. I think we we ruined ourselves from Melville by doing that too early. Yeah. And uh and and it may be smart to to back off from von Trier. Yeah, we probably need to we probably need to Fellini von Trier (laughs) in the sense that we need to slowly (laughs) come to terms 
with what is wrong with him. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going on there. I don't want to know. Um, what I will say is that I, I do. I, I'm fascinated by him picking up Vaughn because Vaughn is a is a is a traditional Dutch thing. Yeah, and I don't know that. But then, like making it like because it's from essentially like so like it's uh, uh, I don't even want no yeah. we're done yeah. stop Listen, hit that break let's get out of know, here it's <laughs> it's very interesting it is interesting uh, the Hartman the Hartman thing is what's interesting to me uh, particularly with um, the Hartman Trier knows. Uh, who is the person everyone believes to be his father and Trier doesn't believe to be his father, apparently, uh, is also a, a known resistance fighter. Right. Uh, to put the Hartman name then on these secret Nazis uh, and have Von Trier as a actor in a scene with them where he is playing a character who is only referred to as the Jew uh, is... Just meta layers that you're right to say maybe we shouldn't explore yeah. right now. We're, well, and we're, we're not going to figure it out. Like we're not. I don't. Right. Mainly, I don't I even just know don't that we mean. could begin to speculate about what yeah. what all of that means. Yeah. So I mean, I what I find like I what I do find fascinating about it is even now, okay, when you when you get he doesn't have it, but. I I keep thinking about like we talked about this with Bottle Rocket, okay? I'm gonna I might mm-hmm. hurt people's feelings here. This is a thing. I don't think I will though. We talked about this with Bottle Rocket and how like unbelievably exceptionally like to me kind of absurd it is how much time and energy was poured into essentially two people who, as far as for all intents and purposes, didn't appear to actually want to finish a film. Um, right. And like, and we talked about like, and that gets, that directly connects to that thing that we, that comes up in, you know, Twitter discourse and other places about like, if your name had, if your parents' names have blue, are in blue on Wikipedia, <laughs> I've already found the answer to the question of how did you make it? Um, right, right. And while Von Trier's family name, parents' names are not in blue, the f- statement, the head of Denmark's Ministry of Social Affairs, <laughs> Feels like it. Right. It is. It is a. Is an implicit blue. Not that I don't think right. he's talented or anything like that. I'm just. It, I. I keep. It keeps always feeling like it cycles back to this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, and it's something I shouldn't explore more deeply, honestly, because it will ruin every movie. Um, That's not. But like whatever. Oh, go ahead. Whatever Von Trier's childhood was like, and we have very little information. No, yeah on it period right um he's a man who uh leaned into being weird and i can appreciate that yeah absolutely (laughs) i definitely also appreciate i think what what it brings up to my mind we were talking about it is that when we're talking about this movie i'm trying to get a good feel feel for like his um his his movie making history like the element of the element of crime is certainly just is definitely definitely would have gotten a lot of people's attention when it came out and all that. Yeah. Um, and it was his premiere, right? Right. It was his debut. 
What, so. what I find fascinating is that there is, for a certain group of people, and I'm not necessarily classifying him as one or not, like just directing a film that is like immediately a hit feels like it has to be the result. It can't just be the result of only talent. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's there's got to be something primed there. Right. You can't just right. like oh, I got to direct a movie. Like Right. How? Like through what process did you come to just be handed the and again, elements of crime may be like one of those things where like I fundraised or something. I don't know. There's so little information about any Von Trier film on Wikipedia. They're all essentially just Wikipedia stubs. They have no fucking information right. on them at all. Uh, all of them. Um, but, like, I don't know. It's just a thing that I, I've been thinking about since we had the Bottle Rocket episode. It really primed a pump in my brain to think about, like, how are people just handed directing jobs who didn't work in the industry right. for 20 or for 10 years showing that they're good at, like, film-related, like, a, you know, the other jobs of making films? Like, you would think, you know, in your mind, that's how you imagine it works, right? Like, when somebody, when you were a child and somebody described, like, oh, he made a movie, you f- conceived of a world where a person was first, like, a grip or something. And then, like, and then right. maybe became, like, an assistant producer. You know what I mean? Like, it went through a whole well, series I, of steps that made them that thing that is the I sort of pinnacle like, of making movies. I feel like in Europe with directors, there's there's a sort of... One, I think that apprenticeship stuff exists in the background a lot more. I'm sure. Um, not to say Von Trier did or didn't. I don't know. Uh, but also, there's the the aspect of government funding of film. Right. There's um, that. There's that, that. That gets people, and you know, part of that, you know, uh, you're if your uh, if father your dad or, is the head of the Ministry of Social Affairs, the, uh, yeah, seems like that's it might be a little get. easier for you to get that yeah. initial funding. Right. Right. And that's fair. Uh, you know, we talked. We talked with. Wes Anderson, and you know he is the child of means, but not—I mean, they're not super rich, but they're they're business owners. They're they're well off. He went to private school, right? Um, and you know, a lot of people poured a lot of resources into getting uh, right, and that's what uh, him to the point of being able to make his first movie. Right. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you that mainly this is just me still being like still dealing right, right, with right. the history <laughs> of him more than Von Trier. Like I'm looking at Von Trier's like early life, like went to the National Film School of Denmark, won some awards in right. school for like that's all seems like a fairly yeah. logical it's, path. It, to it one. seems like he put in the work. Right. No. So it's not really a comment on Von Trier that much. I, it's more of me just still processing that idea of like how especially actually in American Hollywood, how one actually becomes a director. Like kind of yeah, sort of apropos of nothing a lot of times it sort of feels like. But um, <laughs> not always. I mean, obviously you read about directors who are like, oh, I was a stuntman or I was a – it happens all the time too, right? Yeah. Like you hear those stories all the time that are that are the story we imagine should always be the story. Um, but yeah, no, it's, just, it's actually, just an interesting thing. Actually merit – you know, well, yeah, like but, it's like, oh, I used to be a stunt man, and then I became a stunt coordinator, and then like people started hiring me to make stunt movies because I, you know, or like action movies because like, yeah. 
look at the pedigree. It all makes it. But, you know, that's not always the way it works. And it's just an interesting thing to think about. Like I said, Von Trier appears, for all intents and purposes, what little is in his Wikipedia page. It all seems to follow a very logical course of, right, like, right, I was right, interested right. in film. I went to film school. I directed a bunch of films in film school for film school. And they won awards. And then people right. were like, hey, do you want to make a real movie? Like, makes sense. Yeah. Like, it's just an interesting yeah. thing to think about. And again, you know, he's oh. just a weird guy. Yeah. Who, working working under the stuff. name of the person he believes to be his actual father, right. but is not right. Not who he has been told is his actual father. He's a weird guy. Um, yeah, no, but, I, I really but, appreciate his real, his right. solid embrace of just being a weird dude. <laughs> uh, I do appreciate yeah. all that. It's just fascinating to me, yeah. like, you know. Right. And then it's just... Knowing, knowing what, and I don't know a lot, but knowing what little I know about the the Dogma ninety five aesthetic of realism, of uh, no, not using only natural light, natural sound. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just very interesting that the guy who helped come up with that idea made movies like this. Yeah, it made a movie before that. Like this, yeah. Uh, where I mean, this movie is all edifice. It is just one hundred percent edifice, right? Um, uh, and that is not a detriment. But you know, you talked about how you could do all of this in uh, Adobe now, and you know, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow did. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, like... well, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow did this, but without the without the like. I mean, Sky Captain of the World Tomorrow has a whole uh, bunch of aesthetic <laughs> stuff going on. It's just not this aesthetic, right. like, right? I mean, like as we what we were, what we were talking about earlier, or with the that uh, is like, his style is what Sin makes this really too, interesting. Right. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, his style, him him coming to that is what makes this interesting, right? Right. Um, but I'm saying all that to say that. You know this whole cloth digital creation of a film environment. Uh, you know it would be much easier to do this uh, as pure edifice in a way where this movie is pure edifice, but doesn't even begin to approach the edifice of that. Right? right absolutely. Yeah. Like it's uh, it's real edifice, but generated by a bunch of people doing yeah. really doing things, and then like th- using the things they really did to make to make the edifice. It's 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 you know it's like the props in a in a in a stage play or something right like somebody they are fake but a person had to make those right like uh as a whereas if you the digital version of this would be even more just not just not real at all right like all the you know it's just an extra level of not real that is right 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 you think about yeah it's just it's There's just so much going on yeah, here. Yeah, I mean, that... well, I like I wasn't sure when we started talking about this. A thing that I couldn't ever like lock down when when I was watching, I was like, are we gonna talk about the politics of the movie or making the movie? Because like those are so their own podcast topic that like it's really hard to blend them together. Like I I almost can't engage with the politics of this movie because it is just so. The way that Von Trier lean, like leans into his weirdness produces things that are really hard to parse down into a like 
orderly, like regimented concepts. You know what I mean? Like we've talked about like some of them, uh, but like there's a million things happening in this movie all the time. And, and it's really hard to get a grasp on them uh, from a sort of like ideological sense. Uh, whereas the, the actual physical making of the film, which is really fascinating, is pretty easy to lock down. It's, it's cool and super interesting. Um, on the sort of metapolitics of this that's in the documentary, I think I found a weird, a sort of throwaway line that in the documentary that I, I, that, I sat and thought about for like 10 minutes was yeah. just offhandedly the making of documentaries. Like they decided to film in the bombed out cathedral that had 30 years, whatever, X number of years before been destroyed by the Soviets, uh, like in retaking the city. And now those same, those same warriors were helping to light the cathedral. It was like that kind of thing. Like they said, I, they definitely said the word irony or ironic. And I was like, right. right. And I, and my brain started, like I froze up for a minute. My brain like literally like locked itself. Like the gears started to grind. Like, Oh no, someone, somebody shifted without pushing the clutch what's happening here like i'm like they bombed out that church because it was occupied by nazis that's they, the, the, now <laughs> the, fully willing to embrace the soviets doing crimes to polish people let's be very clear but they didn't take over that church during world war ii for shits and giggles like there was a re- right <laughs> it's like they kind of it's like somehow that one moment of the documentary is like Nazis, what are those? Like, never heard of them. It was a real weird moment. I was like, that's not irony. Like, does it suck that the church was destroyed? And I'm certain a lot of people died. Absolutely. But those dudes sitting on the back of that truck lighting that church, it's such a, it's just a weird line to throw into the, into this otherwise right, just right. technical documentary. I was like, what now? Yeah. Well, it's it's there's <laughs> like they didn't blow up the church because they didn't like Polish people. Well, I mean, they might have, but like again, that was not their stated motivation. <laughs> That's fair. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of like throwaway stuff about, uh, and no one helped us because you know they live in a totalitarian, totalitarian regime. Yeah. So I'm not like okay. Like the, that that documentary had the. Yeah. most uncomfortable sort of exoticism in it that I like, like it treated, right. it addressed Polish people in the way that I've come to expect bad documentaries about Southeast Asia to address Southeast Asian people yeah. where it's like, well, that's the people who had never seen a camera before were yeah. struck dumb by its, by its filming. It was like, why? I, I was fairer to the poop documentary than maybe I should have been uh, yeah, okay. when I talk about how it ended okay. because how it actually ends is an additional 20 seconds that talks about how different Poland is. Okay, that checks out if, then. That's in line with what yeah. I saw. I was like like yeah. not that not that it's fair when it talks about other groups of people. It's never fair. It's just really like even somehow more unexpected when it's just about Polish people. I'm like Yeah. This yeah, sucks no matter almost, where you're doing it, but wow. And like like a lot of what they're talking about feels like some sort of underhanded Polak joke. Yeah, right? Uh 
like there was an anecdote the assistant director the the guy who did the poop documentary tells in one of the other ones about how uh uh when they're filming the river scene where after the church scene where they finally meet on the river at night, uh, cat and, and Leo. And he asks her, or she says, you should marry him, marry me. And he says, yes. Um, but Von Trier wanted more water in the river, which was, uh, possible, but they had to bribe an official to open up the sloughs of the, the, the dam, uh, which was, uh, so far miles up river that it there were hours from when those gates were open to when the water actually rose in the river so they had a lot of time and while they're waiting for the time uh von trier decided that there was a there was a tree branch in his shot so he wanted it removed and one of the local workers got tasked with removing it so the guy climbs out on this tree branch that's hanging over the river and sits on the end of the tree branch and saws uh, the tree branch off and everybody's watching like, what's he going to do? Is he going to move before he finishes sawing it? He's going to fall in the river. And sure enough, he fell in the river and just disappeared according to the director. And then he, or the assistant director. Uh, and then Tomas says, says, ah, it's, it's fine. He, he, they fished him out down river and, and he came back to work. But, but it's all this like very weird exoticism, uh, xenophobia of, yeah. of polish people like they're dumb well they're yeah and it's worse than dumb it's it like just... it had that it really it really really felt like bad pseudo anthro apology like the, the 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 shittiest version of that where i was like like especially in that making of one where that i watched it was like it kept cutting the scenes of just polish workers standing around a thing that extras do all the time in every right, movie production because right. their primary job is to just fucking stand around until a person says go over there but they're like right. they would use those shots of those people like and of course they look into the camera and stuff as people do but the movie the documentary at the same time is like kept talking about them as though they had it was seconds away from being like they believed that the camera would steal their soul, so we told them that it was, you know what I mean? It's like It felt like it was like, what the fuck are you guys doing here right now? What is this? <laughs> right, right, right. The workers were late. Felt... They got lost between church and the bar. And I was like, the bar. fuck you. Yeah. Like, just go fuck yourself, so we had man. To, we had to go hire a bunch of other also workers. Yeah, like, like also you know, people who have just, jobs had... and like can't do this <laughs> right. all day. And then it was like, right. Well, I was like, the workers didn't realize that they would be working this late. So, and I was like, yeah, you kept them until two a.m. Of course, they didn't think you were going. They were going to be working until yeah. two a.m. So we paid them right. double, and like, and it kind of like <laughs> jokes about how that's why people work in South in uh, in East in uh, Eastern Europe because uh, the average extra only makes blah blah blah. I'm like, cool. Um, <laughs> Right, yeah, right. Thank it all, you. It movie. all felt very much like what what was off putting to us about the way uh, during the knife in the water stuff, the way Roman Polanski described uh, Yolanta Umeka, the female star of that, and and how they, you know, they they said, oh, she ate all the food at any opportunity. We started calling her a fat cow. Said, you hired her for a job. Why wouldn't she eat lunch? Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, like, well, exactly. It's like. Like I was, I was just, I couldn't. I was like, and like, it's just this. Like, I, I had because of you, you and I being the age that we are. I knew that this, like, this 
crazy shit happened with regards to, you know, essentially over the wall in America yeah. all the time. Like the same stuff that they do about China now all the time. And like, where it's like right, this, like, right, right. like wanting, it's, like this particular picture that America and Europe wants to paint about places that aren't America and Europe, but like, boy, I had forgotten that that was a thing about like Eastern Europe, and, like because it was right, right, and like woof. And I, I have so rarely experienced it with people from Western Europe doing it to Eastern Europe, right? That it yeah. really felt felt particularly icky. Yeah. Um. And to their credit, I don't think Von Trier himself ever actually does any of that. It's a lot of well, we barely hear you know, Von Trier talk high ups ever. in the <laughs> yeah. It's it's yeah. high ups in the production. Assistant director, the guy, I can't remember the position of the guy who who tells the trailer anecdote about how he had to procure all these guns and and then uh, fainted uh, when when he thought he was going to be arrested and uh, says, "Well, we'd probably still be in jail today." Uh, if uh, if they had bothered to look at the uh, the paperwork that he purposefully did not properly get done, right? <laughs> yeah, says. it's um, it's like my man. It's all very. It's all like there are. I went to college in a southern suburb of Cleveland, and there were not a lot of people, but there were enough people. Uh, in classes I had that were of the opinion that, oh, I'd get shot if I went to certain parts of the city. It's like, right, no, you yeah. won't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people will do it, like, literally for a place that's 30 <laughs> minutes away from their own house. Yeah, absolutely. Like, right, right. It's just that, like, whenever, it's always gross whenever we encounter it, and we've encountered it plenty of times. It's just, like, I was not expecting it here. It's, like, I think what right. the difference is is most of the time when it happens, we've already sort of mentally braced ourselves for, like, this we like you're already 50 percent aware that this is probably going to happen like okay i'm gonna watch a uh, i'm gonna watch a documentary about a, a movie yeah. called like a movie that was made by a, a, a french director in india in 1950 something <laughs> like this right. documentary is going to be racist as fuck here we go <laughs> like whereas like this one you're like wait what now what's happening here <laughs> what right and like like Part of it is also that, you know, it's uh, it's around a movie that is particularly about how upper class outside political forces and the church are continually oppressing the workers. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, like, I don't know, guys. Watch your own movie before you talk about <laughs> yeah, your experience. Absolutely. At least at least the the weird disconnect, uh, political disconnect of something like uh uh walker you know the right. guys recognized the weird political disconnect instead of just making fun of people right right uh, right, right yeah <laughs> well and like the, and the documentary were, features they, of walker are are almost entirely about like this was pretty fucked up like this whole thing was pretty <laughs> fucked up like, like they gave us all of the meat in the country uh, we like, didn't ask for it, and we felt bad about it. Yeah, like we did uh, yeah. eat it. Uh, well, and then just like yeah, and all the people descended on the yeah. Like Walker was an it was an interesting version of that. Yeah. Th that like at least seemed to be at right. least semi self aware. Whereas this one was just like okay, <laughs> boy yeah. oh boy. Yeah, like they talk they talk about that hotel as being the sort of place where a uh, where a Polish worker works for four years to get a week at this resort. 
and then they do nothing but dog on the resort when they're there off season in winter when the pipes are frozen. Right, like, right, yeah. You know? Uh, so and like, it's all. Well, and there's always that. I mean, there's that, like, that, like, oh, they had to work, you know, they had to work this hard. Like, there's this whole, it's really gross. It really is. But, like, it's like, right. guys, I got news for you. Do you realize how long a lot of people in America work to be able to go to Disneyland one time? It's a long <laughs> right, fucking time. Right. And that place yeah. sucks balls. Like, <laughs> like let's be clear. And, right. and like, right. many people work many, many, many years to save up the money to go there. Like, right? There's a there's a movie about that too. Yeah, no, know. there absolutely uh, is. Yes, pretty funny one. Uh, but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, it's all very dumb. There's a lot of very dumb stuff in the in the extras as well. A lot of very interesting stuff of people talking about Von Trier and mm-hmm. a lot of very terrible stuff about people talking about the location shooting of this movie. Yes. Uh, and just uh, stop. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, it is a phenomenal movie. It is. I, I, really, I really like um, it. I mean, like it... It has problems, obviously, but like, yeah, it, it was really an interesting watch. It just was. And then, like his, like just, you never really, even though it is essentially a by the numbers plot in essence, like you never fully could like commit yourself to knowing what Vontrier was going to have the characters do. Uh, right, which is really fascinating to go through. Like, right. oh, can- this is by the numbers, but like at any moment. The buy he could just be like fuck those numbers, burn them down, and like something radically different could happen. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah. Which kind of but is yeah, what happens, yeah, right? Because he just... blows up the train, right? Like, I mean, that is essentially what happens, right? Yeah. The you, yeah, yeah. It's just and thinking about you know power structures. You know, this, this is a movie where explicitly the U.S. comes in and dismantles the infrastructure of comfort. Like MPs come in and rip out the heating Heaters, system yeah. of the train car, right? And and then to to have that as part of a message of your movie, and then switch over to uh, absolutely no sympathy for the people living under the Soviets, right? Who are also exercising that same amount of power, right? right. And that's you know. Uh, <laughs> I think I think if you've listened to our podcast long enough, uh, you know we're not pro Stalin, right? Yeah, uh, we've been, we've been through this. I'm sure somewhere out there we are we've been accused of being pro Stalin. We are, we are, we are. Uh, listen to our Andre, uh, Andre uh, listen to the Waja episodes. We are we are pro communist and but not pro Soviet, right? Uh, I, particularly you know, in the same way Waja was, right? Exactly. Um, so. right. Like it turns out. The Soviets would kill you for actually being a real communist, uh, or at least try to. Uh, but like, yeah. Um, fascinatingly enough, though, um, did you catch the line in the making of that all the like all the cinematography and lighting work in Poland was done by Waja's director of photography? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did see or, that. Or something yeah. like that. Yeah. That was really like I didn't. Yeah. I, I listened to it a couple times. I've yeah, already another... lost it, but I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> Yeah, another another connection to to broader filmscape. Like like Von Trier uh he describes this film I think as uh the visual style of Hitchcock making a Tarkovsky film. Okay, I buy it. That's, that's kind of how. Yeah, no, how yeah, and okay, like yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree, a hundred percent. Yeah, but like he's got he's got Wadges guys. He's got he's got uh, uh, dryers dryers guys. guys. He's got <laughs> yeah, you know his his the pedigree of this movie is just something. Right? Yeah, I mean it's out. We of talked world, about that really. with the actors already, but but you know it's just it's mind blowing. <laughs> well, and you know you have to think like not that like not to keep this going for too long, but like. You can kind of feel that, like, we, we talked about the the reverse side of this with, like, the sort of, like, you know, who's your parents and stuff like that thing. But the sec- the flip side of that is, is, like, if you were, like, talking to the director about your his movie and he breaks out eight million storyboards to be like, so this is what we're going to do. You'd be like, all right, man, you, you okay, fine, sure, okay. Like, you'd probably be like, yeah, okay, let's do it because, like, clearly you've got this fucking planned right. like the guys, there will be no hemming and hawing and like shitting around we're gonna do this apparently yeah yeah the guy's got it planned and he's hired the right people to right. do it yeah. so like you know that's there's that you yeah. know uh if i were the executive producer i wouldn't care uh if there weren't enough naked nurses in it uh no yeah no absolutely this, well this this seems like it's a good investment to me and yeah and if you're somebody <laughs> but, like waja's like director of you know photography or whatever and like this guy walks up and is like here's my plan you're like all right i'm on board because like clearly you got this on lockdown like i mean i don't no yeah no I, no one should have like this is definitely a version of that like where where I can imagine it's I don't know that it's easy to get people on board, but I feel like if somebody showed up with like a, this level of binder work basically, I'd be like <laughs> right, All right, right. You clearly right. know what's up. So I, they they talk they talk about I can't remember where if it was something I read or something I, I heard in one of the bonus features, but they talk about the the uh production Bible. Uh every time anyone talks about it, it gets just longer. <laughs> uh, so it, it was like a thousand pages at, at one point someone says but but it's maybe not trustworthy that it was a thousand pages but we do know he had 800 storyboards right and right. then he had everything else so you know he's got a novel of of the the visuals and then and then on top of that the visuals of the movie the the train stuff are actually drawn from a children's book about a dream train and like his von Trier, that's one of the more interesting things that von Trier yeah. himself talks about is like well you know the train the book is quite quite fanciful and and fun and like <laughs> right right so yeah, really that's book. Um, yeah <laughs> it's really funny to imagine that this like Somewhere deep inside of that man, that what this movie is was born from a child's book he read. Like it's just wild yeah. to imagine. It's it's very it's very good. It's all just very good. I w- uh, I wonder if those storyboards. I wonder if anybody ever made like a book of them, like one you could buy. I don't know. I I really would that talk about just a a, a kind of. I mean, crazy, just just totally fucked up, like a uh, like coffee table book to have. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. This is my Lars von Trier yeah. Europa coffee table book. It doesn't contain any <laughs> scenes from the movie. It is, however, full of eight hundred storyboards. Yes. Oh man. <laughs> well, I think we could pull this to a close. We've been talking yeah. about Europa, a movie von Trier. Uh, director Lars von Trier describes as he wanted to make a more normal movie. 
Uh, well, nor- more normal in terms that it would be easier for more people to watch, uh, which is wow. After watching, after watching uh, only one of his previous, he only made two movies before this, and we've watched one of them, Elements of Crime, and it's certainly not easy to watch. Right. Uh, but that is that is less about anything uh, infrastructural or logistical to the storytelling, and more about just the very harsh sodium yellow. Um, well, and, and if memory serves, the story itself was also a, a pretty harsh story. I can't <laughs> yeah. I remember no, feeling certainly. it was quite he makes, harsh. He makes movies that end depressingly, certainly. Uh, and this is no, uh, yeah, this no, is no change yeah. to that. Uh, but yeah. Uh, this has been Europa from 1991, released as Zentropa in North America, which is the name of the train company in the film, and starting in 1992 the name of von Trier's own production company. He took the, he took the name of the, the train company as his production company name moving forward. Uh, but yeah, uh, just a really interesting artsy political drama thing that, uh, is maybe that's the best way to describe yeah, it. I don't, it's, it it does defy thing. description for sure. Yeah. Uh, next week we, uh, we'll be watching something I, I look forward to with, uh, with, a little bit of trepidation, maybe. The 1982 Sam Fuller anti-racism movie called White Dog. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and we'll see you for that. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Olatari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at lostincriterion.com or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at jonathanhape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it. <laughs>